And uh, once again, happy 4th of July. And I think the Founding Fathers' intent on liberty was liberty in Christ. In fact, I kind of know it was. You know, so that's where true freedom exists, not freedom or license to sin and do whatever we want in an autonomous way. That's what I call Satanism. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Aleister Crowley, if you ever look him up, he's not a wonderful guy. Uh, but I'm going to be going through Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. And I, I forgot my sword, but fortunately, I've had this committed to memory for a long time now, but I didn't commit my notes to memory, so. Wow, the lights really turned on. That really lightened up the situation a little bit, but before we start, I'm going to pray, so. We just thank you, Father, for your word and your spirit and how you work in and through those whom you have called in your body. So we just ask that you bless this time and help us to know you more and more through your word, to follow you, to hear you through your word so that we can share your love to this world that so desperately needs it. Give us boldness, Father, to be able to speak your truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you know this, but this is my favorite psalm. You know, and uh, I, I think last time I talked about that, I call it the ABCs of God's word. Anybody know why? Anybody remember? Because it's an acrostic, and every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet has eight verses. So it goes from A, Aleph, Bet, Gimel Dalet, uh, Het, Fa. You know, I'm not too good at Hebrew, but maybe somebody could help me. You know, I don't know that. Ha, ha, unless I got a sore throat or something, you know. <laughs> maybe I'd speak Hebrew better if I had a cold. Uh, it's a joke. Calm down. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's so rich in God's word because every single verse in here, except a few, mentioned one form of God's word, you know, and there's law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, and word, and if it doesn't, it refers to God's word, and you're going to start to notice as you go through it, it's almost like how do we relate to God's word? It's kind of like, what do I do? Coincidentally, it says God's word. How do I do it? God's word. How do I stay strong? God's word, and vice versa. So I think there's a prevalent theme in this that's kind of saying something is extremely important. You know, and so we'll start with the passage. Let's see if I, I remember, because this is a hard psalm to memorize. It, it really is. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart... I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might sin against you, might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
it gets even harder as you go through it because it's about 176 verses. No, I didn't look back there. No, that's that's why this is uh, pretty easy because I've kind of committed it to memory and studied it for a while now. Or should I say it's helpful? Okay, so we start with verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it or according to what God has spoken. Now that's what word means in the Hebrew, what God has spoken. And it's interesting that, well, first off, it talks about young man, but in the Hebrew, it literally means men and women, young men and women. It's just that, you know, when we're, uh, huh? Oh, I thought I heard somebody. When we're younger, we tend to not have such a rain on our passions, if anybody's ever experienced that. A lot of the biggest mistakes we've made have been in our younger years. You know, anywhere from, uh, uh, I would say, somewhere before teenage to 30, if you're lucky. Some people still stay young, you know, unfortunately, but, you know, uh, sometimes it gives a really awesome testimony, but it puts you back a long ways, you know, but... The interesting thing is the root of pure in the Hebrew means to literally be shining. And we are called to shine in a world full of darkness, Philippians 2.15. But the word of God still begs the question, how? It is certainly not by not following our hearts blindly, which is the battle cry of postmodernism in America. Keep in mind, when I say postmodernism, I mean Satanism. Okay, because it's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. You know, if your heart's governing you, you're probably deceiving yourself. Don't be fooled. The root of this philosophy is satanic and falling our hearts with no restraint overwhelmingly results in corruption. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And keep in mind, desperately sick means medically incurable in the Hebrew. That means we need a heart transplant. That means the heart of man left to itself is wicked. But what's the cry since the 60s? Follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. Or I don't feel that way, therefore I won't do it. You know, it shirks responsibility and promotes sin and wickedness. This reference in Jeremiah speaks to the heart of sinful man without the divine guidance of the word of God. In such an important matter, God does not leave us in the dark or confused. The answer to this dilemma is clearly stated in the response, by guarding it according to your word, or by guarding it according to what you, O God, have spoken. We must be on guard, and there is only one guard, your word what God has spoken. To guard in Hebrew can mean to hedge about with thorns, and I actually have a little bit of experience with this. From cattlemen in Africa, I was in Africa for a year, but uh, in Africa I have seen cattlemen build a crawl, which is a word in Afrikaans. Anybody know what a crawl is? It's kind of like a corral, except it's made out of thorns which is a primitive, primitive corral made up of acacia thorns. And if you've ever seen acacia thorns, they're this big and they're hollow. So when they break off in you, you don't pull them out. 
very painful. It makes a cat claw look very nice. You know, and so it's made up of acacia thorns to protect their livestock from predators, and this primitive yet simple enclosure ensured the safety of livestock within. Another aspect of garden Hebrew is to keep, retain, and treasure up in memory. So there's a twofold meaning to it. It's defensive, but there's some work involved, but that does make sense. It's a hedge about with thorns. You ever try to handle thorny bushes or trim mesquite or cat claw? I bet you wear gloves. Maybe a young man wouldn't because they're so full of passion and wisdom, but I got tough hands. Yeah, I highly doubt that. Usually when you're older, they get tougher, and then they get weaker. But But it's the treasure up in memory. Remember, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8. The devil was active and deceptive, and now more than ever, there is a famine in regards to the word of God. But the famine isn't because there's a lack of Bibles. It's because there's a lack of Bible reading and committing to memory. Big difference. I can read my Bible anywhere. I don't have to carry this big thing. I got this. You know, we have a distinct advantage. The great deceiver is actively devouring many in the church, our nation, and the world, and he won't stop at nothing short than utter destruction or hell of his prey, because what does he do? He kills, stills, and destroys. Those are his motives. Many neglect the gift of the sword of the Spirit. Remember Ephesians 6.17, Hebrews 4.12? First and foremost, it's applied to us, because what's the hedge used for? To guard the heart. But also, too, it keeps predators out. So it's twofold. And become victims of his attack or lies. We are called to wield this mighty and divine weapon, and the best means of protection is not carrying a Bible on our side at all times, but to treasure the precious, powerful, enduring word of God up in memory and in our hearts. Deuteronomy 6.6, that's what I mean by famine. We're intentionally starving ourselves because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from and I think we have every word contained in 66 books. Don't be, so yeah. All we need is what God has spoken to wage war. Nothing less, nothing more. And that's Deuteronomy 4.2, which is, it, the reference is Deuteronomy 4.2. That's just the paraphrase. But coincidentally, I found a passage to support it. There's a couple of them. <laughs> So then we go to verse 10. But before we do it, it's extremely important to understand why we need to guard with the word of God because has anybody looked at what's going on today? We have so many things causing division and confusion. I mean, how can you get confused about who you are biologically because you feel a different way? There's so much things that are being convoluted, and don't be fooled. The agenda is satanic, and it's meant to undermine Christian truth and biblical values. 
And that's the true agenda that's going on right now. Because whenever there's an issue, who gets attacked with these hot button issues? It's not Muslims. It's not Hindus or Buddhists. It's Christians. So there's an agenda. That's why we need to stay guarded to the truth. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments or what God has commanded. The earnest desire of a heart devoted to God is one in which the center of everything that is in you seeks God. The purpose is to follow God, which in the Hebrew is a form of worship. Following God is worship, not just tagging along behind him. It is an act of worship. Kind of like Abraham going on top of the mountain. I am going to worship the Lord. He was following his instruction. This is the opposite of, of what we are being taught in the world today. Postmodernism would have us follow our own inclinations of our hearts and turn worship and self. Love thyself is the deceptive slogan, not love God and thy neighbor. The heart that is being transformed by God recognizes this deception and implores God to not let them go astray. And once again, relies on what all of God has commanded as the moral compass. Extremely important. You know, because we, I've seen so much deception and I've deceived myself plenty of times. As a, I, I'm, I'm finally getting gray hair so I can say kind of young man. I'm older than I look, but I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, you guys can guess my age if you want. <laughs> Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist does not merely sit back or I have stored up what you have spoken in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the... The psalmist does not merely sit back with good intentions after his confession of faith to seek God with his whole heart. He goes straight to work, recognizing that the greatest defense he has against a wayward heart is to store, hide, and treasure up what God has spoken in his heart. The same word for stored in Hebrew is used in Genesis 2, 2, when the Hebrew midwives hid Moses as a baby. Do we value the word of God so as to treat it like a precious newborn baby that is a gift from God. The psalmist recognizes the holiness of God and the act of sin as a direct rebellion against God, any act of sin, just like Joseph, I'll sin against God and against my master. So we, we might be saying, oh, well, I'm not doing it against God. Well, actually, yeah, you are. <laughs> you know, don't be fooled. When the word is hidden in the heart, it changes us. What is in the heart shows what one values the most. Whatever you have stored in your heart shows what you value the most. Because what does Luke 12, 34 say? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So it's kind of time to check our hearts. You know, because even in the 1850s, most of your uh, elementary schools had more biblical knowledge than adult Christians today. But of course, they were taught it. 
It was in every area of life. It was at home. It was in school. It was out in public. It wasn't being silenced without a muzzle, which is confusing, right? How do you silence people without a muzzle? Political correctness. Or what I would say is anti-Christian correctness. There is a great difference between, and here's a really good quote that follows that I really like from uh, William Cowper, if anybody knows who he is. He's really awesome. Anybody know William Cowper? He's old school like Spurgeon. Uh, but anyways, uh, there's, great, there's great difference between Christians and worldlings. The worldling hath his treasure and jewels without him, the Christian hath them within. Neither indeed is there any receptacle wherein to receive and keep the word of consolation, but the heart only. If thou have it in thy mouth only, it shall be taken from thee. If thou have it in thy book only, thou shalt miss it when thou hast most to do with it. But if thou lay it up in thy heart, in thy heart, as Mary did the words of the angel, no enemy shall ever be able to take it from thee, and thou shalt find it a comfortable treasure in time of thy need. So it's pretty important. And we go to verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes or what you have laid down as the divine lawgiver. And, it, you know, it, it's coincidentally that this whole passage is an antithesis to the satanic agenda being propagated in the Western world today. The focus is on God and his word direct in our hearts. The psalmist recognizes the Lord is blessed and gives honor where honor is due. You guys ever see those uh, bumper stickers that are the opposite? You know, I would say, God bless America. I've seen one that said, America bless God. You know, it's, it's the exact opposite of what we think. So it's kind of creeping into everything, you know. The psalmist does not rely on his own wisdom, but asks God to teach him. He does not ask God to teach him from the deceptive philosophy of this world, but from his statutes. The Hebrew word for teach can be translated goad. Does anybody know what the goad is? It's when the shepherd uses the rod to drive and correct wayward sheep. So goad is the rod that the shepherd uses to drive the flock rightly and correct a wayward sheep. This is a request full of wisdom to not have God spare the rod when we stray from his word. I have seen people validate and put forth unbiblical standards that go against the word of God by saying, God revealed this to my spirit. Don't be deceived by your heart or the world. God does not go against his own word. You know, because a lot of us think of him, he is a gentle teacher, but guess what? He's got a rod too. And some of our best lessons are the ones we learn from rods. I had a friend who said, you remember the first time? He was corporally punished, and he never forgot about it back when corporal punishment was still allowed. And he never talked back to his grandma again or his mom. Smarted off to her. She gave him a really good smack, and he remembers to this day, and he's twice the age of me. So the rod is good. It's not bad. You know, so this isn't just teach me gently. This is lead me by your rod. This is drive me. This is goad me. And we should take it serious. We shouldn't come to it with a flippant point of view. 
because it is the word of God. Verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. And that means what the divine judge has ruled to be right. Now the psalmist declares or numbers. He approaches it very seriously. He's actually numbering it. That's what that literally means, to number, to count. What the divine judge has ruled to be right. This is one standard to what this is the one standard to what is morally right, and that is God's standard revealed in his word. What a blessing it is that God would show us what is right. This does not line up well with the subjective morality of postmodernism because if God is right, then our hearts and everything else is wrong. That's why we get attacked for truth. That's why we get attacked for biblical morality. And in all reality, it's God who's being attacked. And it makes me think of uh, a level, which is, uh, anybody here ever build? I build, so I know. But one of the most important things you need are what? Tapes, levels, lasers. They're instruments to make sure things are plumb, level, square, and they're the right length. One of the most important things is a level, because no matter how good your eye is, I can guarantee it's still going to be out. You put the level up against the wall. So the equivalent of disregarding God's word and going on your own inclination is like having a level without a bubble. There's no standard. You just got this big stick that you're putting on stuff and saying, yep, good, 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 really good. It's at a 45-degree angle. Oh, yeah, it lines up real well. But that's why we need to rely on God's word you know, and trust on him and have him be our teacher and to declare everything that he has made to be right. But there is a cost to that. There's a cost personally because then we're held accountable to it and God's pretty good at doing that for our own good and for his glory. But then we're held accountable to a godless world. We get attacked by them. For standing up for God so don't be afraid to stand up for God because usually when you stand up for him he takes care of you he's pretty good at doing that and if anything happens he'll give you the strength to endure you got plenty of stories like that in the Bible you know whether you're in a fiery furnace or a lion's pit or in prison multiple times you know if anybody's been in prison multiple times uh, verse 14 in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. And testimonies means what God has solemnly testified to be his will. And to delight is to is literally to rejoice, to be full of joy. It's really exciting. Do we rejoice in what God solemnly testifies to be his will? What a joy it is to walk in divine purpose, rightly guided by divine truth. Could we ask for anything more, but rather be content in relating rightly to God through his word, by his spirit, in his body, the church? What a blessing, and we shall rejoice indeed the same way God rejoices over us. Just like in Zephaniah 3.17, what does he do? He sings over us with joy. 
The word all riches in Hebrew could be translated as enough substance or wealth. The richness of God's word, you got to finish for the whole one, is not worth its weight in gold. Rather, the worth of the word of God far surpasses the weight of all the gold in the world. We would be poor, blind, lost beggars, deceived and damned without the saving word of God. We would be utterly hopeless. So a lot of people ask me if I'm rich. I'm like, heck yeah, I got like six or seven Bibles. I'm pretty rich. You know, because guess what happens with God's word? It doesn't disappear. It's eternal. But then I tell them I made a really good investment in the word of God. I put it in my bank. I guarded it. It's in a vault. And in turn, in garden, it, it returns profit to me really good prophet to not be deceived to not be wayward to not sin against God not saying that we're perfect but it does help because if you got the word of God in your heart and you're about to do something guess what bring comes right out really should you be doing that God has a way of bringing about conviction with his spirit and then verse 15 In 16, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So he starts by asking, how do I do it? He gets the solution. He blesses God for the solution. He declares it. He delights in it. And then he says, you know what? That's not enough. There's three I wills, but I call them four because I think the second one is by proxy, but it doesn't say I will. First one is I will meditate on your precepts. Well, we got to get the definition of what meditate means because it's been convoluted in American culture. It doesn't mean an emptying of self and trying to reach nirvana. I will meditate not to empty oneself in silence, but to ponder the word of God, thereby filling oneself with the word of God. You have a conversation with yourself with the word of God that you have committed in your heart. That's meditating. And if you've ever done that, it's pretty awesome. Not that you do it for to try and get some spiritual high out of it, but it's pretty good. If anybody's ever meditated on the word of God, it, it, it gives a really good return too. I guess that's why it's treasured and stored up. And to fix our eyes, that means to look intently at God's ways with pleasure, favor, or care. So we don't disdain God's plan. We take joy in it, and we look intently at it. It's pleasurable, it's favorable, and we do it with care. It's not just something flippant. I will delight. Now, this one was really hard in Hebrew, if you've ever looked at what this means in Hebrew. Uh, But the best way I can say it is it's like the coddling of a baby or or a crying out. If you, you know, you you have a baby in your arms and you're just so excited and doting over that baby. That's what it's like to delight over the word of God. Isaiah 66, 12 kind of talks about it. And then the most important one, because all these mean absolutely nothing, I will not forget 
your word. And to forget literally mean it can mean either to forget, ignore, whether, cease, to care, to make, or to cause, to forget. So that's why we store it up in our hearts. You know, when you get something out of it, it's worth remembering it. You know, I mean, we can remember plenty of events in our life that had valuable lessons, and we never forget them. How much more the Word of God. So the question is, is do we use God's Word as a hedge? Is it our hedge of protection, or do we allow the world to determine what's right or wrong? Do we treasure it up? Would you be willing to have everything taken from you except this and be perfectly content? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. But then there's work involved. There's, there's work. When you build a crawl, you just don't sit there and watch it build itself. You got to get the thorns. You got you to spread it. You got to put it around. And believe it or not, you got to actually maintenance it too. But it actually keeps the lions out. Lions won't go in a crawl. One of the most deadliest predators will not go in a crawl, and it keeps whatever's inside safe. So it's extremely important. So that's what we have to ask ourselves. Do we value the word of God in in so much that we're willing to commit it to heart, to remember it, to meditate upon it, to fix our eyes on his ways, to not forget it? Because in America today, it looks like the nation by and large has forgot and we're reaping the fruit of it now with destructive families, with drug addiction, with high incarceration rates, with higher murder rates, school shootings, you know. So we really need to commit to be able to put that in our hearts. It's extremely important.